Hey, everybody, it's JT from Grilling at the Green. John Breaker and the great folks at Birdie Ball have a short time offer for all of you listeners. You just go to birdieball.com, and when you place your order, there's a place on that form for a discount code. Use G-A-T-G. That's G-A-T-G. Of course, it stands for Grilling at the Green. And you will get 20% off anything you order from birdieball.com. Now, it's a short-time offer. It expires in about a week, so you want to get on it. Go to birdieball.com, place your order, uh, use the code G-A-T-G, and get 20% off. You heard it here on Grilling at the Green. It's time for Grilling at the Green. Join Jeff Tracy as he explores the golfing lifestyle and tries to keep it in the short grass for the hackers, new sweepers, and turf spankers. Here's Jeff. Just open up the door and let's take good times in. Hey everybody, welcome to Grilling at the Green here on AM860, The Answer in the Golf News Network. This is the show where we talk about golf and the interesting and fascinating people who share the passion for the game that you and I do, and uh, the characters behind the scenes, which I always find more interesting. By the way, this portion of uh, Grilling at the Green is brought to you by Painted Hills Natural Beef. Beef you can be proud to serve your family and friends and beef also the way nature intended. That's Painted Hills Natural Beef. Check them out online at PaintedHillsNaturalBeef.com. Uh, there's a new book out, and it's called Mr. Wizard, and it's written by Jeff Wallach. Jeff Wallach lives actually here in my hometown of Portland, Oregon. He's an award-winning author. He's got five nonfiction books, as uh, nearly a 1,000 articles, essays, uh, and other writing um Treats if you will, and he's written for the, the New York Times, Oregonian, Sports Illustrated, Golf Magazine, Men's Health, Money Magazine, and a lot of that. Jeff holds a master's degree in fiction writing from Brown University and a Bachelor's of Arts in English from Vassar, and he lives here in Portland. Jeff, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Jeff. No worries. I got to be honest with you. I'm not a big kind of fiction guy. Um. I just never have been. I'm I'm very much into biographies and stuff like that. But I have so enjoyed reading Mr. Wizard uh, that I have to maybe rethink my stance on things. It's, it's well, maybe we can maybe we can cure you of that aversion uh, if you're picking the right fiction. Yeah, yeah, I think so because now I read a lot of Dan Jenkins stuff in the past of his, you know, money whips, deer jabbed, uh, you know, some of those uh, golf oriented books, and I always enjoyed those. But some of them, um, I couldn't, you know, Michael Murphy's uh, Golf in the Kingdom. I could never make it through that book. I'm sorry. I tried about five times, but I couldn't do it. But I really enjoyed Mr. Wizard. So that said, here's your first typical question, Jeff. Uh, what, uh, what prompted you to write this? Well, the impetus for this really came uh, when I was about 50 years old and I was having a conversation with my mother. And she said something to the effect of, uh, oh, you know, that's, that's partly due to your Scottish heritage. And I went, my what? <laughs> uh, something I'd never heard of before. I grew up uh, back in New York, my brother and I, thinking we were 100% Jewish. And now out of the blue at 50 years of age, I find out, oh, my Scottish heritage. So I took a DNA test, and sure enough, uh, came out about 12% Scottish, and I just thought that was a really good premise uh, for a sort of mystery treasure hunt book 
about finding out who you are in the world and what that really means. Was this kind of predicated on um, Spencer and Philip in this book? Was that predicated on you and your brother, sort of, some of the adventures? That's exactly right. Although we didn't have quite the uh, adventure tracking down the information, it was much easier for us. We knew who our real parents were and who our real grandparents were, but I just uh, ran with it a little bit, and, and things changed as I went. Oh, yeah. Well, no, it's a great great story, great storyline, and I actually think it's got a lot of relevance to not only your life, but a lot of people's lives because of... Uh, our generation, I'm your age or in our, they're the same age bracket. There's a lot of secrets back there that we don't know. Uh, I have found that with my family, not, not devious secrets, but just stuff they overtly didn't tell us over the years. Sure. And I think we're the first generation that has this amazingly powerful tool of DNA to reveal some of the stuff that nobody ever gave up by talking about it. And uh, in my research, I've discovered that quite a number of people get some major surprises when they take these DNA tests. Some, some of the surprises are good ones and some of them are not. Well, I'm, I can tell you that my wife did that and um, she was surprised to find out that uh, on her side of the family, a lot of people like come from Norway, Scandinavia area like that. Uh, that is true, but she also found out she had a, a pretty good chunk of Native American in her. And she's blonde-haired, you know, hazel blue eyes, that type of thing. And, uh, you know, if she gets in the sun for more than five minutes, she turns into a tomato type thing. Right. And uh, so that's been a real eye-opener for her. But these characters, uh, Philip being the oldest and, and Spencer being the youngest and we made some. Com- we talked a little bit about the characters prior to doing the show here. Who's model after who? Are you are you the Philip or is your brother the Philip? Well, Jeff, that depends on who you ask. <laughs> uh, I had a long conversation with my own brother uh, before the book came out, and he was quite certain that the character was one of the characters wasn't just based on him, but it was him. And I spent a, a quite a long telephone conversation explaining that these are not real people. These are characters in a book. And sure, maybe, uh, maybe this character went to the same school that you went to, or he had an experience in high school that you had, but that doesn't mean that this is you. This is, it's made up. It's fictitious. It's, a, a writer has to draw on things that he knows, but that doesn't mean that they're true in the way that, that he presents them. I think... Uh, was, that, was that a good way of dodging your question? Yeah, I thought it was very good. It was very good. You, you get an A-plus on that, Jeff. Um, you know, sometimes in the people I've interviewed and, and over the years, which is a large amount of people, they take that impetus of a character from their life, whether it's a relative or somebody they grew up with, whatever, but then they also, I think the good writers, and you certainly are one, they blend in some of their own life experiences and a little bit of what if, what if this had happened, or maybe something they thought of, dreamed about growing up, uh, you know, they want to be a international spy or run a powerful corporation or something like that. Anyway, a lot of that gets blended into the 
the characters of, of good writing. And you certainly have done that here. But did you when you were kind of letting it go to bring in, develop these characters, is that what you did? You said, ah, man, I wish I would have done that. Yeah, absolutely. That's the beauty of fiction writing is you, you, it's like you're telling a story about something that happened to you, but you're changing some of the facts to make the story better. And, uh, you know, we all do that to some degree. We'll exaggerate an aspect of, of a story or a detail. Sure. Because it makes the punchline better or, but, uh, but in the case of fiction, you just get to make it all up and any place you want to diverge from something that actually happened, you just run with it and you have the freedom to do whatever you want and see where it goes and craft the thing to, uh, to deliver the outcome that you intend. One of the things that I really enjoyed in the book was uh, you get to the golf part, if you will, and the discussion of golf and, and they decide to play in Ireland and so on without giving away too much of the story here. But um, when uh, I, I don't want to give it, give it away. So I'm trying to think of how to frame the question, but when they got their golf lesson, I have seen more people on the, on the range or in playing lessons. Uh, they didn't get a mulligan, so to speak, like they do in the book. They got, uh, well, I've always done it this way, and the and the teaching pro is just trying to help them a bit, and uh, they do it for the teaching pro, and as soon as he walks away, they go back to doing whatever they were doing before. And um, I've seen that in real life, and then you brought it to the surface in the book, and I thought, he, he's been there. He's seen that. Yeah. If you ever saw me play, uh, <laughs> you would you would turn away at the earliest possible moment because I have a terrible golf swing, but I'm a decent golfer. And, and so for me, lessons, for, for a pro to tell me uh, what appropriate technique is, just doesn't work for me. I have a very, uh, a very um, unconventional swing, and I think traditionally golf pros have taught specific mechanics whether the person they were teaching could execute those mechanics or not. And we're all uh, creative, unique individuals, and, and, and our parts move differently. <laughs> and I think that golf instruction is best when it helps you figure out what works for you, as opposed to making you <clears throat> figure out how, how you can do what's supposed to work. I think that's true. The name of the book is Mr. Wizard, written by Jeff Wallach here in Portland. And we're going to take a break on Grilling at the Green. We'll be back right after this. Everybody, welcome back to Grilling at the Green here on AM860, The Answer and the Golf News Network. And Tons of platforms out there on social media for podcasting and stuff. We've got 14 of them or something now. So you can find us. Um, also, one of our folks down at Langdon Farms, down there in Aurora, right off of I-5, their uh, prime rib dinners are coming back. And the restaurant is open, and they have to practice all the social distancing protocols and all that. But I was in there last week and had lunch. It felt kind of weird being in a restaurant all by myself, but there was other people there but uh, was you could go in and sit down and, and eat so check them out also if you'd like to email us very simple info at grilling at the green dot net info at grilling at the green dot net you can send me an email there ask any questions or any suggestions about a show so we're talking with jeff wallach his new book uh mr wizard in the in the book 
uh, kind of a preface. You know, they discover some things after their mom's passing. The brothers do. They head out on an head out on an adventure, especially to Ireland. Um, and there's all kinds of little subplots in there and stuff. I'm going to let you kind of pick it up and, and just give us an overview of that. Sure. I, I would describe the book as a sort of genetic treasure hunt. And these two brothers who grew up, grew up in uh, New York in the 1970s with, with a mother who was irreverent and playful, and she was always setting up word games for them, scavenger hunts, that sort of thing. So that's a theme throughout the book mm -hmm. and the book itself is a metaphor for a treasure hunt where the two brothers are, are looking for something very specific and very important to them. Um, and there are clues along the way. And I, I like to think that the reader is trying to figure out the answers one step ahead of the brothers. I was, I was, but it, you know, when you talk about <clears throat> a couple of Jewish guys in Ireland, that kind of throws you for a loop a little bit if you're kind of thinking big picture about that, <laughs> you know. It uh, Ireland's a great country, but when they're specifically uh, looking at stuff and they only have a very small clue on that of what they're where they're supposed to go to look for it, um, to me that's kind of fascinating how you wove that in there. And um, you know, I'm part Irish, um, part mutt on the other side, I think, but it. Right. But it's uh, it's it's really kind of fascinating, and the and the the interaction between the brothers Jeff is always, uh, you know, they're they're not twenty years old anymore. They've lived a lot of life. They've been successful in some things. They've they've done things. Um, they've got skills and talents and all that. But there always seems to be this underlying tone of that missing piece, and. Um, how important was that as far as the theme to go through the book? I think that drives the characters. Uh, each of the brothers reacts to that same thing in an almost opposite way, which to me is what's interesting uh, about their relations to each other is that they're, they really don't have that much in common other than their upbringing and what they learned as kids, and a lot of what they learned as kids were sports and games and other types of competitions. And so here they are even in their 50s, and they're still driven by some of the same things that drove them when they were young. And that's really fun. I don't know if you have any siblings, Jeff, but you oh, know, yeah. my brother and I, when we get together, I mean, things haven't changed in 50 years. <laughs> well, I happen to be the youngest uh, in my family, and uh, what's interesting is my brother's close to 15 years older than I I am, and he's still around. And so uh, I really didn't get to know him until I was out of college because growing up after, you know, the age of four or five, he wasn't around much, yeah. you know, like that. So it was really interesting to have that gap like in my life. Because we found out after I got out of school, we did have a lot in common, but uh, and then on other things, we were just polar opposites. So um, life's a funny doesn't, thing. Doesn't it make you wonder if you have those things in common because what? Is there a 
Is there a genetic uh, basis for some of that? I'll tell you something funny. I used to play golf with my dad, you know, for a long time, starting when I was probably 10 or 12 years old, all the way into my 40s. And, and my dad had one of the worst golf swings that <laughs> anybody has ever had in 600 years of golf being played. And I would always be correcting his swing and trying to help him and, uh, you know, applying anything that I knew about the golf swing. And then the first time that I went for a lesson where they shot some video of me and I watched that video, I just slapped myself in the forehead and I went, oh, my God, I have the same swing. Is it kind of like Jim Furyk on steroids type swing? Yeah, I, can't, I don't even want to describe it because people will turn the radio off. <laughs> Well, my biggest problem is I've got to uh, swing around what is in front of me, i.e. my stomach, uh, be because I'm also a cook on my other shows. And, um, yeah, I carry a little tonnage up there. And so I'm always kind of looping around things, if you know what I mean. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what makes it such a creative sport, right? I mean, I remember when I was uh, 24 years old and I could – wrap that club practically around my head in the backswing. Mm -hmm. And now I've got the little old man backswing that barely makes a turn, but I've learned how to use that effectively in the same way that when I used to be able to hit the ball really far, uh, I used that effectively. Maybe that's a correlation to writing, Jeff. You learn as you go along that you can be a little more effective with a different type of style of character development or something. I don't know. I've yeah. only, I wrote one crappy cookbook and so and some articles, but I've never done any of the work like you have. So maybe that's, that's a, a good analogy. Yeah, maybe so. I don't know. We'll see about that. Do you, um, do you get to play golf on a regular basis anymore? I do. Well, for a long time, for about 35 years, uh, I wrote mostly golf and travel articles for magazines and newspapers. And so I got sent, I think I played golf in 35 countries over the course of my career and, maybe a thousand golf courses around the world. So I used to play quite a lot. I probably played 80 or a hundred rounds a year uh, back in those days. Now I'm down to more like oh, once a week uh, with a couple of trips thrown in there where I might play 36 in a day if, if I can make it around. Sure. Um, but uh, especially with, uh, you know, with all the recent close closures, uh, golf is one place that we can go and see our friends and get out and get some exercise. Right. We are going to take a break here on Grilling at the Green, and we will be back in a few minutes uh, with Jeff Wallach, the new book, Mr. Wizard, right after this. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Grilling at the Green. I'm JT, and we're talking with Jeff Wallach today. Just his new book out, Mr. Wizard. Jeff has written for, oh, the New York Times, Golf Magazine, the Oregonian here locally, lots of stuff. Um, a number of books he's authored, so he's done a great job with that. But I want to say real quickly, we want to thank the folks at Painted Hills Natural Beef, Beef the Way Nature Intended, and also the folks at Ben Hogan Golf, tour quality clubs at factory direct prices. That's Ben Hogan Golf at benhogangolf.com. And, uh, um, you already know the email, how to get a hold of me. So that's not a big deal. Let's get back to talking with Jeff. When you start writing a book like this, Jeff, do you have the a general concept idea or do you go, okay, this character is going to go 
here, one, two, three, four, five. And I'm going to work that into the story. And this is where I want him to end up. And then the other character, same thing. This is where I want him to end up. And you fill in the blanks. Or do you just let the story kind of develop as you write it? Yeah, good question. Uh, with this particular book, uh, I didn't even know I was writing a book. I had written a short story about these two brothers and their relationship, sent it off to an editor uh, who's always been very generous to me with his time and his comments. And he said, I really like this relationship, but I don't think this has concluded yet. And I thought about that and I thought, oh, all right, let's see what happens uh, if I keep writing and continue and what will develop. And as I went, I began to have some idea of where it was all going and what it was about. But um, I have to say that for me, the process of writing the book reveals a lot about what's going to happen. And, you know, there were a couple of twists that occur later in the book that um, I didn't even know what the answers were to these particular mysteries, maybe uh, in some cases until the second or third draft. Wow. That's, you know, I've always wondered about that, truly, because the way certain characters, you know, fill up in this one and you give him the background and you blend in his story and then they're on the, the hunt, so to speak. And, you know, you've developed the story enough, well enough that it fits. One of the reasons... And I told you right at the, the start of this that I'm not a big fiction reader is because sometimes they develop a character and then it goes completely off the character path, so to speak. And you're not sure why, but and, and that's not being redundant or careful. It's just that you keep building that character, uh, in this case, Philip and Spencer. And it's kind of like when you're done, you say, yeah, I can see that all the way through. Oh, well, I appreciate that. I'm glad it seems that way. It, it, it is, uh, that's a lot of what the revision process is all about, is smoothing out the surfaces. You know, you're, you're adding layer upon layer upon layer, not just character, but plot and scene and all of these things. And, and uh, you get them all down the first time, and it's fun, and it goes quickly. And then uh, you settle into the real work of, making sure that, that everything makes sense, that it's consistent, that the themes are expressed clearly, that the turnaround moments happen at the right time, and the revelations are, are of things that people will look back and go, oh, that surprised me, but of course it was that. It had to be that. Right. Now, you talked about you being part Scottish in your real life. Was there ever other situations where they that was kind of a wow moment either for you or your brother that you called upon when you wrote this? I'll have to think about that a little more. I, that was really the big one was learning that we weren't exactly who we thought we were. And that's the thing that drives the action of the book. I mean, there, there have certainly been other surprises along the way, but that, that was the major one. Well, I can tell you a story, and people don't get offended by this, but growing up, now, I'm a child of the 50s and 60s, okay? When my sister, who's the middle child in our family, when a, 
and I don't even know why I say this other than sometimes we're, you're right. We're not who we think we are. The a guy would come to take her out on a date and my dad would go, you want to see a picture of her grandmother? And he'd, he'd drag him in the house and he would have, and the, my dad was friends and traded horses and stuff with the um, Indians at, at Warm Springs and then up at Umatilla at Pendleton and stuff. He did a lot of that and he would take pictures. We have lots of pictures of the Native Americans there, but he would have some not so flattering pictures. And he would say, this is Ramona's grandmother, um, you know, two spotted mules, or he'd make up some name like that. I noticed the poor girl never got two dates for some reason, you know? <laughs> anyway, just thought I'd throw that story in there, Jeff. Yeah. It, but I don't think that we all are who we think we are, at least in our heritage. I think there's always stuff in there that we're not, we're not sure about, but your guys, Philip and Spencer, overall, they seem to, to handle it pretty well. Philip better than Spencer, I would say, but, uh, you know, it's, it's, um, it's a learning experience. It is. And, uh, people respond differently to the same thing. And that's one of the ways that, uh, characters are defined how they react to something and the difference between two characters might simply be explained by the way they respond differently to the same stimulus right that certainly happens in the book here the brothers are very very different people from from the day they were born from from some of the early episodes in the book where their kids in the in the seventies and they're playing board games in the basement. And one brother feels like they have to follow all the rules of, of every board game and play them as they were meant. And the other brother wants to take the, the hotels from the monopoly game and use them as, as border fences on the risk board. Yeah. And he wants to take the little, uh, the little kids that rode in the back of the car in the game of life and, and, you know, use them as hostages in the game of Stratego <laughs> And his brother just can't abide by any of this. And, and even just sitting down to play a board game is a major personality dispute for them. Oh, yeah. And then you throw in Cousin Leah. That's a whole different deal there. That is a whole different deal, although I don't want to say too much about that. Right. But I was, I think a lot of us had Cousin Leah's, actually. Um, that's all I'm going to say about that. And I'm going to say that we want now welcome Bruce Furman with his golf tip of the week. Hi, this is Bruce Furman. I'm the director of instruction out at Langdon Farms Golf Club. And today's tip, I'm going to talk a little bit about your grip and, and your wrist positions. And most people that are average players have no clue. They just hold the club, whatever feels comfortable. But the face is the biggest determination of how the ball starts. So the, wherever your face is aimed at impact, that's where the ball is going to start. And then the combination of the path, meaning the direction your club is, is going, and the face, that determines how much it's going to curve. And so how you hold the club and how your wrists are when you swing back and down are very important, and you should understand what your tendencies are. And There are three basic wrist positions at the top of the swing. There's bowed wrists. And that's somebody like John Rahm or Kepka or Morikawa. 
they usually have what we call a combination grip, where they have a weaker left hand, and I'm talking about a right-handed player, by the way, a weaker left hand grip and a strong right hand, and that tends to bow the wrist. And There's a lot of guys doing that right now. It's not that easy to do. I don't normally recommend everybody trying to do that, but it, it does work. And then there's what's called a flat left wrist at the top, and and that's more of a neutral grip, and that would be somebody like Tiger or, or Adam Scott. And then there's a cupped wrist at the top, and that's usually from a strong grip, which means for a right-hander the grip is to the right, or mo- you'll see more knuckles. Somebody like Couples has that. So how your wrists are at the top and how they come down, whether you're flexing your wrists, which means bending the palm down towards your wrist, or you're extending, raising the back of the hand t- toward uh, your your forearm, those things make a big difference on how that club face comes into the ball. And so you should understand that. And if you don't, you should go see a pro and uh, make sure that you understand that and match all those things up. And then you'll play a lot better golf. Thank you, Bruce. We appreciate that. For more of Bruce Furman's uh, instructional um, availability to you, our listeners, just check it out at Langdon Farms. Go there, click on the golf instruction. Bruce is the director of golf instruction there. And um, maybe schedule a lesson with him. He's a great guy. He's been trying, trying, that's the optimum word there, trying to help me for several years. Uh, We're going to be back with Jeff Wallach, talk more about his new book, Mr. Wizard, uh, right after these messages. Welcome back to Grilling at the Green here on AM860, The Answer, and the Golf News Network and multiple platforms around the world. Uh, Jeff, I don't know if you know this, but I looked it up the other day. I think there's now officially uh, a podcast for every two or three golfers in the country. (laughs) (laughs) That doesn't surprise me. No, it doesn't. But uh, one thing we've got going for us is we're actually real radio on top of being a podcast. So that's kind of a good thing. Did, were you happy when you finished, Mr. Wizard? I was thrilled when I finished it, although it depends on what you mean by finished it. <laughs> um, the, the finishing of the first draft was probably where I was at my most ecstatic. Um, the first draft took me about six months to write. It was just pure enjoyment and entertainment and surprises and laughing out loud and uh, but that's when the real work began. Another 18 months grinding it out to uh, polish it and revise it and add to it and change it. Um, so when that part was finished, then was another round of, of minor ecstasy. Um, and then back to the grind in trying to find an agent or a publisher in a very difficult uh, publishing climate in this world and in this country these days. Um, and then when that came to fruition, uh, another uh, another round of great joy. So it's been an up and down ride. When you were writing the book, Jeff, did you ever like look at your wife or the publisher or whomever and say, you know, I need to go to Ireland to do some more research and take off with your golf clubs for a couple of weeks? I feel that way all the time, Jeff. Um, <laughs> I was I was lucky enough in my career as a as a travel journalist to get over there probably six or eight times 
over the course of my career. Uh, so that's a place I always love to go back to. I hope to go back uh, still in some connection with the book and do a reading or a presentation somewhere or even just uh, further research at the Guinness storehouse. Well, there you go. I, I can certainly appreciate that. And maybe, you know, you've got to see how you're holding up against the, uh, the Lynx courses over there. Uh, you know, grass grows taller, so they say. So, you, you know, take lots of golf balls with you. I can tell you that for certain. <laughs> well, I get some good practice on the Lynx golf here uh, at Band and Dunes, which I'm lucky enough to get to once or twice a year. Well, good for you. Good for you. Are you have you got another book um, kind of in the works? Funny you should ask, as I'm sitting here with it in front of me on my computer screen, uh, but I am at the very, very beginning scribbling a few words, doing a lot of research and doing a lot of thinking and hoping that I have it in me to get through uh, another two years of work on this. Well, I hope you do too, because you did a great job on this. So um, kind of one last question, if you will, on Mr. Wizard, at least we're going to pick it up in the after hours. Jeff's going to stick around for that. Out of all the characters you developed in this, what was your favorite character? That's such a hard question. Well, uh, you know, we had a little talk before the program started, and I think my favorite might be your least favorite. Uh, I'm a big fan of Spencer, the younger brother, because he is so irreverent and, <laughs> and you know, just a little out of control. And well, he was very fun. It was very fun to write the dialogue for him. Oh, sure. Now, I got to tell you, my... My opinion of Spencer changed once he decided not to go home when he was in Ireland. And that's all I'm going to say about that. Okay. But once he got there, he seemed to take a little personality turn in the road for a while. And so um, without giving too much away, then he became one of that. I actually found the one that the mother was the one that I was really kind of interested in because um, you know, the book's really about the boys' uh, treasure hunt, as you call it, which is true, but there could have been a, a hell of a tome written about their mother, I think. That That is true, and she really, she she appears live in the book for about five paragraphs. Yes, yeah. And then she's gone, um, but she's still responsible for almost everything that happens after that first page. So, yeah, I think I think she is she's a very interesting character and I, I mean, I would love to know more about her too. Uh where can they find the book, Jeff? Uh well, they can get the book on my website, jeffwallach.com. They could go to my publisher's website, Open Books, that's open-bks.com. They could get it on Amazon and of course they can go into any bookstore and ask them to order it. Jeff, it's been a pleasure. He's going to stick around for the after-hour show. We've got to get out of here for this week. We'll be back next week with another edition of Grilling at the Green. Um, folks, be nice to one another out there. Take care. Grilling at the Green is produced by JTSD Productions, LLC, in association with Salem Media Group, all rights reserved.